we are going through a series on relationships called Grace Affords. And this evening, we're going to be talking about partnership. Last week, we talked about patience, and this week, we're talking about partnership. And, and, and this is an interesting uh, kind of necessity to relationship, that in a relationship, you have to have a partnership. It kind of sounds obvious, right? How can you have a relationship if there's no partnership? You have to have some level of coming together and connecting and partnering over something for a relationship to actually even take place. Look at the front uh, of your worship program. There's a quote there, famous quote by C.S. Lewis, and he teases this out in regards to friendship. Here's what he says. The very condition for having friends is that we should want to do something else besides friends. If someone asks you, do you see the same truth? And the honest answer is, I don't care about that. I just want you to be my friend then no real friendship can possibly arise. Why? Because there would be nothing for friendship to be about. Those who have nothing can share nothing, and those who are going nowhere can have no fellow travelers. That is, uh, that last line I love, those who are going nowhere have no vision, have no direction, have no mutually agreed upon destination in a relationship, can have no fellow travelers because you're alone in that. See, relationships require something. They require a mutually agreed upon direction. You have to come together in relationships, whether a friendship or whether in your family and the familiar relationships, whether in a marriage or in a dating relationship, regardless of the relationship, there must be a point where you have a mutually agreed upon decision of the direction that you're going in the relationship. When I was a kid, uh, I grew up in uh, this street that had a park in it, and there were kids all over the place, and played outside all the time, and there was this empty lot. And this empty lot, you know, brought up a lot of ideas amongst our squad, right? And uh, we decided, what are we going to do with this empty lot? And so all these new kids came and moved to the neighborhood one summer. And so we got together, these, these new kids in the neighborhood, and all of us that were already friends, we got together and we said, what are we going to do with this, with this empty lot? You know, it hasn't been used. So we decided we're going to build the greatest fort of all time. And we accomplished that goal. It's greater than any fort that's ever been built. Here's what happened. We came together, a team of people, and we had this vision. We had this mutually agreed upon direction that we were going to go every day, all of our free time, to build this fort. We built a two-story complex, not even a fort, it's a complex. And it had a secret room that you had to figure out how to get into. It was not easy. And inside the secret room was a treasure. You know what that treasure was? Goosebump books. Because that's where we went to go read Goosebump books. If you never read Goosebump books, I'm sorry for your childhood greatest novels ever written besides Lord of the Rings. And we went in there to read Goosebump books. We had a watchtower just in case we had any intruders. We had an off-road bicycle course so we could keep our skills up. And we had a pool. Yes, we dug a massive hole and pulled in tarps and stole the neighbor's hose and filled it up every day and we had a pool. And then we drained it because if you leave the water, it gets gross. You have to have a filter. These are water works. And so we had the greatest fort of all time, and we enjoyed it until somebody actually bought the lot and destroyed it, and we cried, and they built a house there, and then we never liked them. But what happened was, in this process of coming together and building this fort and, and pouring all of this time, is all of these new people that kind of joined our squad, and then all of us old friends, we came together, and we all got really, really close. We became really, really close friends through this process, the reason being 
we had a direction, right? We had a mission that we were all on together. And you could probably relate. You probably think on friendships you've had, the really close friendships. There was, there was something you were running after together, some kind of vision, some kind of mission, some kind of partnership that you had that began to bring you together in relationship and connectivity and intimacy and growth. See, every single relationship requires partnership on some level, and every relationship that you have that is on any level deep and is significant in any way, you have had many mutually agreed upon decisions to run after the same thing. Many of them maybe you decided upon together, maybe in a dating relationship or in a marriage or in a friendship. You've decided upon certain things, and it's grown you together in your relationship. And many times that we agree upon things together without even knowing it. But partnership is what brings us together. It's what grows us together. And it's so necessary in a relationship. And what Paul is talking about this evening as he's writing to the church in Philippi is that there is a partnership that stands above every other partnership. We partner on a lot of things. We have missions together in all the relationships we have on many different levels, some insignificant, some more significant. But the most significant, the most important partnership that you can have in any relationship that's a necessity to every relationship that you have if you're a person of faith is that you partner for the gospel. That you run alongside with your friends in your church, in your family, in your dating relationships, in your marriage, you run alongside each other towards an overarching end, an overarching direction that stands above everything else, and that's that you run after God's vision instead of your own. And he writes this letter to uh, the church in Philippi, and this is an interesting city because this city uh, in Philippi was uh, a very well-known city in the region of Macedonia. It was one of the leading cities in this area, and it was a city that held something that was coveted by every single Roman city outside of Italy. So outside of Italy, if you were a Roman city, you wanted to hold one thing. You wanted to have possession of one thing, and it was the Ius Italicum which was this honor bestowed upon cities that were not on Italian soil, that you were given almost all of the same rights and privileges as a citizen that lives in Italy. So the people, the men and women living in Philippi, had almost all of the same rights and privileges of a citizen of Rome. And so they were afforded tax breaks, they had Roman law, they had all these type of benefits that they were given because they were citizens of Philippi and they held this special honor. And so what happened was the men and women in Philippi were proudly Roman, civic pride, national pride. The overarching mission and vision of people living in Rome was to run after the values and the glory of Rome to run after the cultural values of the day and of the city. And Paul is writing to a church here that is not just Gentile or non-Jew. It's not just Jewish. It's this mix. It's this blend of many different people from all over the place that are living in this city, that everybody is running after the values and the mission of Rome, and they're being tempted to, to follow all of the values of the culture. And he's writing to them, and he just simply says, I, don't, I think you need to know how much your relationship means to me because we have partnered together in the gospel. Paul's writing this letter from jail. 
He is alone. Can you imagine being in prison during this time? He is alone. He is waiting the charges and the fate that he will have. He is suffering. And he writes to them and he says, I I want you to know, church in Philippi, that your decision to partner alongside of me, to not grab a hold of the, the mission and the vision of Rome and to not fall into running after all of its personal pursuits and all of its values and not running after your own agenda, but coming alongside me and running after God's vision has meant the world to me. You can see the depth of this relationship because they partner together on the most important thing that there is, which is your relationship with God and his vision. Look what it says in verse three. Here's how he starts it. He says, I want to thank God in all my remembrances of you. So you can imagine he's sitting in jail. He's by himself and he's saying, every time I remember you, I I, I thank God. Why? Because in every prayer of mine for you, I'm making my prayer with joy. For what reason? Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Paul is saying to them, I I need you to know something. I'm in jail. You know that. You've been supporting. You've been praying for me. You've been behind me from the beginning. And I need you to know that every single time I think about you, I thank God for you, and I'm brought to joy. I'm filled with joy. In the midst of great suffering, I'm brought to joy because you have been alongside me, the men and women there in Philippi. You have partnered with me for the gospel since the beginning. See, what we know is that this church was not known as a very rich church, but this church has been financially supporting Paul from the very beginning of his ministry all the way till now. They have been giving whatever was necessary for God's mission. Paul was leading them. He was preaching to them. He was teaching them. He was encouraging them. And they brought not only financial support, but many other things that we're not privy to, but Paul is saying, I, I want you to know that your partnership with me, the sacrifices you have made to give what was necessary to me for God's vision has brought me great joy. And I can imagine that they sense the same thing. Like, Paul, you don't understand your partnership with us, the way that you have taught us and led us and even receiving this letter brings us great joy. He's telling them that he, in the midst of suffering, has brought to incredible joy because they've partnered together on the only thing that really matters, which is the gospel. See, relationships and partnership requires and means that you are willing to give whatever is necessary to the other person for the sake of the gospel. That's partnership. When you partner with somebody in relationship for God's mission, for God's vision, both on a large scale in the church and in smaller scale in your relationships, you are willing to sacrifice and to hold open your hands and to give whatever is necessary for the sake of God's mission in that relationship. And in this case, the church in Philippi, though they were not of great financial means, was willing to give to Paul financially from the very beginning and continued on going forward. And that's hard to do, right? That's hard to do. To partner in relationship, in your friendships, in your family, in romantic relationships, in your church, and really be willing to give whatever is necessary is a hard thing. And that's why Paul writes the next lines, which is really good news to us, that God is involved in this process with us. It says in verse 6, And I'm sure of this, that he, that God, who began a good work in you, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. 
it is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. You see, Paul understands um, that we uh, are very easily swayed back to our own personal mission, our own personal vision, our own personal agenda. It's so easy to become self-preoccupied instead of to look at our relationships as partnerships. Paul was no different. The church in Philippi was no different. It's really important that we remember that the people that we're reading about in Scripture are not perfect people. Uh, They had their faults, and Paul did as well. And so Paul, to encourage them, says, I am confident of this, that yes, there will be times in your relationship with each other, in your partnership with me, in your partnership in your church, in your partnership in the relationships that you have, that you will be tempted to run after Rome. You will be tempted to run after the values of all of your neighbors and all of your friends and all of the things that they say are going to make life fulfilling and great and wonderful. But God is involved in the process, and he is faithful to do what, he says? To complete the good work that was begun in you. This is the beauty of the gospel, right? That Joshua really eloquently shared God comes to you when you're still a sinner, when you're unwilling to be in relationship with him, and he partners with you. But he gives what's necessary, right? He gives Christ. And through that process, as you receive grace, and as your mind is illuminated, and you're given the gift of faith, and you begin to see God for who he is, and you begin to understand his promises, you begin to realize that God is changing you. If you look, think back on your Christian life, if you're here and you're a person of faith, whether you were a child when you were you became a believer when you were a child or maybe later in life. If you look at your life, you'll realize that you've changed. Things you desire have changed, the way you act. Many things have changed in your life. And what Paul is telling us is that God's involved in the process of change. He is the one that's repairing you. He's repairing our heart. He's repairing our mind. And he will continue to do so throughout the, the course of our life as we seek after partnering with each other for the sake of the gospel. We will be drawn away to other things, but God will continue to repair us. He'll continue to bring us back because we're all partakers of grace, he says. God will be gracious to us. We will run away, he'll be merciful. We'll run away, he'll be gracious and bring us back to partner with each other for the thing that really matters, which is the gospel. See, It's very clear in Scripture that God's call to us, when we realize that God has partnered with us, is that he tells us to, in turn, partner with each other for his mission and his vision. See, the Christian life is not this. This is not the Christian life. It's not, okay, I've come to believe in God. I read the Bible. I believe that Jesus lived and he died and he rose for me, but my faith is private. I don't share it with anybody. I read the Bible on my own. I don't pray with other people. I go to church sometimes when I feel like going to church and I feel like I need it, but it's not really necessary. It's just me and God. That's what matters, and everything else will sort itself out. That is so far from God's mission and God's vision. It is clear in Scripture that's not the case. It's clear in this passage it's not the case. Now, it is really important that I say that your relationship with God is the most important relationship to develop. Your relationship with God is supreme. It should be number one on the priority list, which means that you have to develop it just like any relationship. Any relationship is developed through quality time, 
And through conversation, you may be like, okay, well, what does that look like in my relationship with God? He's not right in front of me. Well, he's giving you his word, right? He's given you access to him in prayer, and he said that he's faithful to listen to you. He's given you the opportunity, as we said last week, to, which is really hard for me, to be still before him and to listen as he speaks and meditate on who he is. See, there, there is the importance and the call for us to spend time, quality time, every day, consistently in our relationship with God. But guess what happens? When you spend time in your relationship with God, when you come to church and you worship and you read his word and you pray and you meditate, you come face to face with God's mission and God's vision for you and for this world. And it's very clear what that is. He's partnered with you so you'll partner with others for his name. See, culturally, we have this idea and we have this mentality that commitment and and partnership in the local church is not necessary. You've heard this. Maybe you've felt this. You've thought, yeah, I'm not really going to commit to a church. I'm not going to partner in a church because, you know, that's a risk I'm not willing to take, and I don't really think it's necessary. See, I understand why a lot of people feel that way because uh, you may have had experiences in the past where, you know, a church has affected you negatively because of the way that they treated you or some of the things that were, were taught. Maybe you had relationships in the church that broke apart and were really hurtful to you. Maybe you uh, attended a church and you felt like, man, everybody in this place seems fake. It seems like it's not authentic. Maybe you just think to yourself, is it really worth my time to go and to get involved in a church? I mean, it's Sunday, and then there's other things they ask. And, or maybe, maybe you think, you know what, listen, there's podcasts, and I have a lot of great speakers and preachers that I can go listen to on podcasts, and I can, I can find great music on YouTube and on iTunes, and, or I can just live stream the church. I don't have to partner. I don't have to get involved. And it's very clear in Scripture that we have not been given, really, the option as believers not to partner in relationship in our church, in a local church, to just truly really be led by the Spirit to find a place to partner in relationship with others for the sake of the gospel. See, in, in this passage, Paul is very clear. He's talking about partnership together. The church is partnered in the city for the sake of the gospel. They've partnered with Paul. They've partnered with other churches because they've been sending aid and helping out. You also see time and time again throughout the New Testament this call to come together in unity that even when there's division, even when there's issues in the church, you don't forsake it, you don't run away, you don't say, see, there's the church again, broken. It's obviously, we're going to be broken, right? You stick with it, you unite together. And if you've been through some hard experiences in the church, I guarantee you some of the churches in the New Testament were much more broken than any church you've ever experienced. If you read 1 Corinthians, that church was like a circus. It was wild. But what's the, the call that Paul says in 1 Corinthians? Unite. Don't divide. Jesus doesn't come into the world and say, guys, I'm here. I'm God. Nobody come around me. I'm just going to do my thing for everybody else, and then we'll be done. Right? What does he do? He gathers 12 men together, 12 disciples, and many other people follow him. His entire public ministry, Jesus is partnered with other people as he's going forward and doing God's work. He's not alone. He's with other people. And the same call has been given to us to partner together for the sake of the gospel in the church. But it's not only hard to do it in the church, it's hard to do it in smaller 
scale in our relationships with our friends and our family and in our romantic relationships. And the reason it's hard is because partnership, real, genuine, true partnership, where we're willing to give what is necessary for God's mission means we're going to have to sacrifice our individualism. And that is a cultural value that we hold that is really hard to let go of. See, so much of the fear, I think, if we boil it down and being unwilling to partner in a church or in any relationship comes to this. If I really partner in relationship for God's mission and for the gospel with a church, in my friendship, in my romantic relationship, within my family, here's what's inevitably going to happen. I'm going to be asked to give something I don't want to give. I'm going to be asked to work on something I don't want to work on. I'm going to be challenged to do something I don't really feel like doing. I'm going to be asked to sacrifice some of my own personal interests and personal desires and personal mission in life for God's mission. And it's going to be difficult for me to let go of some of those things. I'm going to be asked to step outside my comfort zone. I'm going to be asked to come together and befriend and be in relationship with people that I don't really want to be friends with. I thought about this this week. The church is kind of like a middle school lunch. If you know, in middle school, you have all these little tables and lunch, and what happens, every middle school you go to is everybody claims a table. You typically go to the same table every single day, and you have your squad. You have your clique, right? And you have to be invited to the table. If someone says they're not supposed to be there, you see, that's not, you go to a different table, right? And church is like one huge table where we all are asked to sit there and learn how to work together, and it's like really difficult, <laughs> but that's the call to partner together with people oftentimes that maybe you wouldn't spend a lot of time with or maybe are difficult for you to spend time with, but that's the call and relationship on a small scale and a large scale that we would come together and work together. And it's difficult because God's mission is very clear that we are not to run after his vision alone. We're to run after it together alongside of each other And it's so important that we partner together because we are all deficient people. See, if we were perfect, if we had everything together and we had no weaknesses and we only had strengths, then there'd be no need to partner because we could just do it ourselves. But if we're honest, we are very deficient. We have limited gifts. We have limited opportunities. We have limited passions. We have great weaknesses. And partnership is that much more important because we can come together and build upon each other's strengths for something bigger than ourselves. But one of the problems that we have, and I I think you would resonate with this, I know I do, one of the things that keeps us from partnering with each other is that we major on the deficiencies in our relationship. We can only focus on the deficiencies. So we think about a church and we say, I can't partner in a church or I can't partner in that church because... It seems like the people are too fake. They don't have enough single people. They don't have enough families. They don't have the programs that I like. They don't do Bible studies the way that I want. We look at the deficiencies. Or we look at our relationship and our friendship. We say, Carter, I can't partner in, in this friendship for the sake of the gospel because, first off, I don't know if our relationship's on that level. It would be really weird if we did. And, and we're really different. And how would we actually do that? And that conversation would be really hard to have. Like, how do we partner as friends for 
the gospel, I, I, I don't think we're capable. Or maybe you look at your romantic relationship or in your marriage and you say, I don't know how I can partner for the sake of the gospel. We're very different people. We have different gifts. And, and every time that I want to sign up to do something, they don't really want to sign up to do something. Or when they want to have people over, I don't really want to have people over. I wanted to host a community group and they don't. And she wants me to go to this community group. And I don't really like those people, right? We look at the deficiencies in a relationship and we say, there are way too many issues here. There are way too many things that are going to keep us from partnership, so I'm just going to go at it alone. It's going to be me and God, and I'm going to do the best I can. And that never works. <laughs> See, we're hesitant to partner in relationships with each other because of these two major roadblocks, our individualism and deficiencies that we have. And the question I thought this week is, what would it look like if instead of majoring on the deficiencies that we have in the relationships with each other, in the church, in friendships, in our family, in romantic relationships, what if we actually began to appreciate the strengths of the other person? What if we begin to think about, yeah, of course there's deficiencies in, in this relationship. We're deficient people. But what if I began to appreciate the gifts and the passion and the opportunities and, and the differences, the strengths that the other person may have. The strengths of the church, the strengths of your friendship, the strengths of the marriage, the strengths of the dating relationship or within the family, and begin to actually listen and to work together to say, what would it look like in the same fashion where Paul and the church in Philippi came together for the sake of the gospel and gave what was necessary? What would it look like for us to really give what is necessary for something bigger than my personal agenda and my personal mission, but for God's? I think things would look a little bit different. See, the two uh, big roadblocks that we have, all of us, myself included, in regards to partnership, is one, if we're honest, we really don't value God's mission over our own. It's, if we're really honest, we really care a lot more about our personal mission and vision than we do God's. And that's why we like to say it's just me and God because we don't have anybody else to hold us accountable or to challenge us because we want to go this route. And it may not be the route that God is calling us to go because it's more about us. Or secondly, maybe the deficiencies in our relationship are keeping us from partnership. See, we are uh, very easy to forget. It's very easy for us to forget what's important. It's very easy for us to focus on the deficiencies in our relationship. It's very easy for us to become self-preoccupied, myself included, instead of really valuing God's mission and the gospel over everything. It's really easy to do that. And that's why Paul it closes the letter with this prayer. And, and here's my prayer. This would be what I pray over this church, and you would pray over this church, that you would pray over your friendships and your romantic relationships or your family, that this would be true of us. This is the type of people that we would be. He says this in verse 8, for God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. You can see there Paul's intimate love for these people, that they have really bonded together because they partnered over something significant, the most important thing. And here's what he prays. Here's my prayer for you, that your love may abound more and more. He, he's saying, my prayer, as I'm sitting in jail alone, my prayer, people in Philippi, Crossbridge Brickle, 
is that you would partner together, that your love for people would grow and abound more and more. That it wouldn't just be about these few relationships that you really look at and leverage every relationship you have from a large scale in your church to friendships to romantic to in your family, every relationship, and ask yourself, how can I continue to partner more and more for the only thing that really matters, which is God's mission and the gospel? And here's what he says. Here's how he prays that they should grow with two things, with knowledge and with all discernment. He's highlighting two key aspects of Christian partnership, knowledge and discernment. See, knowledge is what he's referring to here is, is the understanding and the intimacy, the knowledge of who God is. So he's praying that they would grow in partnership with other people through knowledge, meaning they would come to know God more. They would come to know who he is. They would spend time and develop that relationship with God. Quality time, conversation, reading his word, praying, attending and worshiping together with other believers, meditating, being still before God, all the different aspects that we've been afforded to deepen our relationship with God, that we would grow in knowledge. Because here's why. When you grow in knowledge of who God is and his promises, as I said, you see his vision. And you see his call. You see what the mission of the gospel is, and it's that many more people would come to know and believe. But how? Through people that partner together for the sake of the gospel. God has called us. The mission is very clear. He has called us to be together, to connect together, to work together, to not be alone, because we need all the strengths to come together. The the church is identified as a body, right? And each one of us plays a different part to come together in small-scale relationships of partnership and friendships and romantic and and the like, and then partner together on a large scale for the sake of the gospel because that's God's mission. That's how God is is advancing the gospel in the world. Every single one of us in this room probably came to Christ because somebody shared it with us, right? And that person most likely was being encouraged and was in partnership with others that were encouraging them to do so. So he prays that we would come to know God that would keep us from our first stumbling block, which a roadblock, which is that we have a very keen tendency to turn our attention to our own interest, to the interest of Rome or the interest of Miami or the interest of me, and because we would grow in knowledge of God, we would see his mission and his, his vision, which is that we would partner together for something bigger for the gospel. But that not only would we grow in knowledge, but also in discernment, which is to say that we would grow in the reality of seeing things clearly, how we have been meant to see them. So that when we look at our relationships, we don't see just deficiencies. We see strengths. We see gifts, we see passion, we see ability to work together with other people. As we grow in knowledge, we see the importance of partnering together. And as we grow in discernment, we are able to see relationships not as completely deficient, but as affording us the ability to work together. Oh, that's a great strength. I'm not as strong in that. What, What if we work together? How could we work together for the sake of the gospel? And he prays this over them so that verse 10 would be be true, so that they may approve what is excellent and pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Very simple translation, so that they would actually live for what matters. Every single one of us in this room wants to live for what matters. We want our life to count. And Paul very clearly says here that 
He desires for the church to grow in partnership as we come to know God more, as we come to have discernment in our relationships, to see strengths instead of deficiencies, so that we would live for what is blameless and pure and excellent, that we live as we've been designed to live, which is together for something bigger than ourselves, for God's mission, for the gospel. St. Augustine said that the only thing that really unites people is a common desire for the same end. And Paul is praying that the church would be vigilant in partnership with each other, in small relationships on a large level, for the only thing that matters. Matters much more than my personal agenda is God's mission and vision. That others would come to know and believe in him. And, and here's the result, verse 11. That they would be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. See, this is the result of partnership. When you partner together in relationship, not for your mission, not for your vision, not for your personal agenda, but for God's, for the gospel, for the good news that others might come to know and believe and trust in the same thing that you have graciously received, you are filled with the righteousness, the fruit of the righteousness of Christ. Meaning, you are continually reinforced with the reality that is not dependent on how good you are or how good you are at partnership. <laughs> it's not how good you are. It's not how much you perform. God is not sitting there concerned about whether or not you're a perfect person. He's not over there harping on all of your deficiencies. See, the gospel, as I said, is that God came and partnered with you when you were fully deficient. You wanted nothing to do with him. And he gave what was necessary to the relationship, which was Christ. And Christ lived and he died as a substitutionary atonement for your sins. He came and took your sins so that you would be forgiven and freed. And if you believe in that, you've received grace, you've received mercy, you've received security and forgiveness. And when you partner together in relationship with other people for the gospel, that continually floods your mind. The fruit of the righteousness of Christ floods your mind because here's the cycle. Here's the cycle of partnership and it is such a beautiful pattern that God has given us. We all have the tendency. We, you may walk out of here tonight and say, I'm going to partner for the sake of the gospel and my friendships and my relationships and my church. And then what's going to happen is there's going to be maybe a few days from now, maybe some weeks, maybe it's like a few months and you're really on it. You're going to start to shift, Right? to your own agenda and your own mission and your own vision. But see, when you're partnered with others for the gospel, what happens? Other people that love you and care for you say, Carter, come back over here. Let, let me tell you who God is. Let me tell you his plan. Let me tell you his mission. Let me tell you his vision. It's, it's, not, it's not about you. Able to come lovingly and challenge and encourage and, and gracefully bring me back to realize the only thing that really matters is God's mission and vision. That's the cycle of partnership. As we shift away, those that we're partnered with will bring us back to see the fruit of the righteousness of Christ that we have received full payment. It's not about our performance. It's not about how good you are. And that should energize you. It, it, it should not give you the ability to say, okay, great, well then I can just... Do whatever I want and just me and God and live alone. No, no. It should energize you to say, man, I am afforded the opportunity to be in a church, to end my friendships, in my romantic relationships, to really partner for something that matters more than me. 
because I have been given everything and been asked of nothing, should energize us to come together so that others may come to know and believe in the same thing that we have received. See, our series is called Grace Affords. It's the idea that grace supplies us the ability, right? Affords us the ability to partner together. And that is so true. It's what Paul's saying. The fruit of the righteousness of Christ affords us, that's grace, it affords us the ability to partner with each other. It energizes us to actually come together and to care about God more than ourselves. It's my prayer for me and that's my prayer for this church. My prayer in all of our relationships that we would really look at them and ask ourselves, are we partnering for the gospel together? Or is it just for my personal pleasure and personal happiness? Are my relationships just for me or are they for something bigger? Because that's what Paul is sharing with us, that joy comes in that. Let's pray.